Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. MWR.com. That's where you can find the written stuff we do from... I was going to say time to time, Matt, but it's like every day, essentially, because there's a lot going on at the moment. It is football season. There's a lot going on. It is. And so now it's later in the week. we got the podcast coming up right here. Talk about week three. But uh, before we get to that, um, there's some big news in the conference. Um, Mountain West Conference Commissioner, Craig Thompson. We're jumping right into his folks. There's no preamble. We're going here. He is uh, retiring at the end of the year. What was your first thought when he said he's retiring? I know a lot of people's first thought. What did you think, Matt? Did you, what was it? I mean, it was a surprise, isn't it? Because you know, maybe, maybe more so than just about, I don't know, any other commissioner in the FBS. Like he's, was he the longest tenured commissioner anywhere, on, the, anywhere on this level? At the least current, because Pac-12 new, Big Ten new, ACC yeah. SEC reasonably new. Big 12 has one like next week or whenever your mark takes over. Um, he's up there because isn't Carl Benson back in the, doing something with the whack again? I don't know. Sun Belt yeah, I believe so. But like, I'm so, pretty sure he's longest tenured 24 years. 24 years. For, oh, first and only commissioner of the conference. Yeah. So with that being said, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, he's been the only guy in charge for the entire duration for, for like the entire existence of the mountain West. Right. Yeah. He was the guy who started it all. Yeah. Yeah. I believe he was the associate so, commissioner with the whack under Carl Benson to help split away, I believe. Yeah. So I you should, just sort of take his presence for, for granted in a lot of sense. And then you realize, Oh, he's 66 years old. Yeah. Like, you know, he, doesn't he, show he it. Wants to, it. <laughs> yes. That's he's Yeah. <laughs> Still got the hair of a, of a 30 year old. Yep. But I think, you know, it, it's a surprise, too, because, you know, given what the Mountain West has been able to accomplish throughout, you know, its entire existence, you know, because it's sort of hand in hand with with what he's been able to do to sort of shepherd them from from challenge to challenge. And while I think a lot of people would say it hasn't been you know, a perfect run. No, I would say should... that, you know, all in all, Good. would you agree that the Mountain West is in a much better shape than it was when it was first created in 1999? 
Um, well, first of all, I should make a correction. He's the Sunbelt before. For some reason, I thought he's at the WAC. Mm. But he was Sunbelt commissioner from 91, 98. Um, that's a hard question to answer because compared from day one till now, you had bigger programs. And he's always said, hey, if you want to go somewhere else, so be it. There's now a hefty penalty to leave or at least a buyout fee. But he also yeah. had – here's a couple of things he accomplished. People like, oh, he did nothing, whatever. Well, he had BYU and Utah in the league, which are really good teams. BYU mm-hmm. Utah is good enough to go to the Pac-12. TCU good enough to go to the Big 12. Like, teams have moved up. Um, he started the first mount, the first conference-only network <laughs> while it being shuttered years later. And I I, I told the story a couple of times. Ahead of its time. At what, well ahead of its time, miles ahead. And now you have that. You wouldn't have literally the NFL network or SEC network without Craig Thompson. They might, but it wouldn't happen as quickly. The Big Ten network, like you would not have those without this. And there are things they could have better, but it's expensive to have high-def cameras for a swim meet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or high debt for track meets. Like the Big Ten Network does a really good job. Like, well, we have a bit more money than the Mountain West, so we can maybe make it look just better equipment and stuff just because they have more, some more resources. But he started that. He And there's some bad things too, but he also, first BCS Buster, Utah, fought to get access throughout every step of the way. He's always been a playoff guy forever. And this seems to be his crowning goal, finally getting the playoff expanded. And not just want to get more teams, but allow one where, it's not invitational. If you're good enough and you win your league, you have a really good chance to make it, particularly from the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. He also so, drove the death knell, killed the whack as well. So there's that in this tombstone. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, like I said, I think there's there's plenty of good to go with the bad. You know, I think a lot of people would point to like, you know, the the Gonzaga miss or near miss or not even close kind of thing that, that came no, up no, and no. called basketball a few years ago preempting to blow it oh we're not going to get it done to the gonzaga i think 80 year presidents like what we haven't had our meeting yet what are you talking about so there's mm-hmm. a miscuse some avoidable landmines that wichita state not inviting boise state with tcu back in the day and there's also this was not his fault at all but i put in our group message i couldn't find the article i wrote a long time ago it's around 06 or 07 or other site where there's a time when you like the bcs is around there is a, a stipulation there if you're ranked above like a top six conference in these certain metrics, you would be granted an automatic bid to the BCS. And there mm-hmm. was a floating number. I want to say between four and seven, which seven would fit in there to give an automatic bid with the big East um, and all the other power five conferences plus the mountain West at the time. Now, so, but they are ahead of like the ACC and some metrics, but in the, obviously the big East who was kind of neck and neck with the mountain West a little bit above, but I wonder how things could change if the BCS, because the problem is nobody's in charge of college football. Is Bill Hancock still at the time of the playoff or BCS then? They technically qualified to get automatic bids. I wonder how much the league could have changed if they would have been given an automatic bid. It may have been nothing for a short time and they kind of slowly fade away, but having that bid for a couple of years could have done quite a few things. May not have kept Utah, maybe BYU, but there are some contractual issues with CSTV, predecessor to college sports television. But it could have changed a few things had they been given the opportunity where, where they did it on the field, but they still were shut out just because oh, you're just, it's one year, but it wasn't one year. That's the thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing is too, you know, relative to other parts of the country, relative to other commissioners that are, you know, and, and, and I say this with Mike Oresco in mind, you know, trying to be more ever present, I guess, in the national consciousness, I think what ended up being Craig Thompson's strength or what will be his legacy is the fact that, you know, with a couple of exceptions, the conference has been mostly stable. 
throughout yeah. his entire tenure. And, and maybe part of that is, or maybe most of that is geography, you know, by virtue of being out West in, in the Rocky mountain region, you know, there are simply less moves to be made in this grand game of conference realignment that they've had to navigate, you know, two or three times to this point. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the moves that they were able to make, yeah, like, you know, no, there's no BYU anymore. There's no Utah or TCU. But, you know, the teams that he brought in, you know, Utah State has won a championship. San Jose State has won a championship. Boise Fresno State has, you know, won multiple championships. Yeah, Fresno's been competitive. Nevada's been an asset in, in both football and and basketball for the most part. So, yeah, I mean, on its face, like, it, it, it's we're not necessarily in the catbird seat, let's say. But I think given the circumstances, it's it's really hard to argue, I think, that the Mountain West, it, it's or, or maybe I should flip that around to say, it is very easy, I think, to make the argument that Mountain West could be a lot worse off without steady oh. leadership that was able to just sort of help convince university presidents to stay together in a lot of respects. Well, also, there's no place to go for some of these schools, too. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think it, it's very easy to overlook sort of the quiet stability or whatever you want to call it. Like, maybe the axiom, no news is good news, is something that applies to Craig Thompson more than just about anything else. Because when the alternative is, you know, I've, I've called Mike Carrasco used car huckster uh, yeah. in the past. And that's, you know, do is that what you really want in a commissioner? I'd want a little bit like, of that. Like, look at, look at where Craig the ACC Thompson's... is headed in two years, or, you know, next yeah. year. Look at the teams that they're bringing in. Like, what, like, what is there Rice. to get excited about there? The Mountain West has a lot of really good rivalries. It's put together a really good product in, in a lot of, you know, a lot of the major sports and in a lot of the Olympic sports as well. So, yeah, is it a 10 out of 10? No, but it's definitely well above average. I think when, when we look back on it in, in five or 10 years or whatever, maybe after the next round of realignment, I think it's very easy to get sort of lost in the details day to day. It's easy to get lost in the present, but I think yeah. we'll look back and say that he did a lot for the conference when all is said he, and done. He, I would like a little more showmanship than he did. Cause before he's like, what it seemed like he was like a, whatever happens, happens type of dude too laid back. Like they're like, I'd like Resco has gone too far. Cause here's the thing. You pump your league up so much. You lose Cincinnati, you lose Houston, you lose UCF. You know what I mean? So that's a, but he, I would have liked more than that than him being laid back. Like it's, there's the one point where I know there's the buyout now, the exit fee, but before it's like, well, Boyce went sleep, just let him go. It's like, you can't say that out loud. He's too honest sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then they, like, okay, Boyce gets a little bit extra money here, exit fee here. Let's convince San Diego State to, and BY, or yeah, Aztecs, not be a TCU to come to the Big East and come back and stay, or Boise State all that stuff. And so there are some good things, but he, there's some avoidable stuff. Like he's just too honest and that's not, and some careers and scenarios, that's not always a good thing. And he could have been a bit more flexible. Like I honestly think Gonzaga is probably a pipe dream just because they use it for leverage to change their conference tournament for basketball and to get, I think they get an unequal revenue share for the tournament shares. And while that would have been a better league for basketball, they can already prove and they could get number one and number two seed without being in the, Mountain West, which has overall better basketball. 
But there's mm-hmm. some things they could. And I'm like, Wichita State would have been a good asset to the league for basketball and football. Like, there's lots of money. To, thing that under people may not understand, but Thompson, I don't know if he didn't realize or I don't know. He's on the basketball committee sometimes. But those tournament shares are what makes some of these conferences huge. Like St. Peter's out in the MAC, they're going to get tons of money the next couple of years to make that Elite Eight run. You bring in mm-hmm. more teams like Wichita, Gonzaga, possibly. Those NCAA tournament credits can be more valuable than the the media rate TV deal or close to it for them for the football deal almost not more money but a good chunk and it goes over a year over year and entirely gets in that's a thing that that's going to miss you the biggest things were those expansion being reactionary when Utah and BYU left like he should have got Boise State the first time around with TCU um I could have been the BYU thing is so weird to get to because I've written about it a million times I live in the area the main sticking point was a contract that wasn't written down for no joke, rebroadcasting games on BYU TV. That's all they wanted. And I get why CSTV or CBS Sports or Comcast versus Mountain, whatever, wanted to protect their thing. And there was like an oral agreement with uh, Dave Chekets. He's owned some MLS and NHL teams, St. Louis and Salt Lake. Or yeah. MLS and Salt Lake. But there are some things where I, I don't know necessarily believe that's him on it, but it's more of the, hey, here's the deal we have. But and they made agree, but nothing's written down. It's like, well, dude, BYU, write it down. And they already got their panties in a bunch. We're out of here, and they're doing fine. And their big brain and whatnot, what they're doing is fine, is good for them. But there's a couple of things. We're like, was that really worth losing that team over that small stipulation? I don't know. No, I'll say no. I'll definitely say no. But it doesn't mean they wouldn't still be going to the Big Twelve if they stayed. They're also mm-hmm. pissed that Utah got invited. They got left behind despite being historically better in football. That's another. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all there is to say. Veering off the path there a bit too much, I'd say. But people saying he's not, like, again, not 10 out of 10, but the bad stuff sticks out. But the good stuff, like, a bad thing was going to Denver for the Mountain West Basketball Tournament a couple years, keeping things in Vegas, getting bull alignments. Like, well, the bull game sucked at Straight Thompson's. Like, yeah, but the bull games wants to see a Big 10 Pac 12 matchup, an ACC Big 12 matchup. It's hard to get those done right. And also doesn't open ESPN owns all the bulls. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else you want to add to that? Or are we good to move on to games? No, I think we're good to move on to week three. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we have a Friday night game. Did you know this Wyoming and Air Force game? Air Force has that one in Laramie in since the uh, was the Howdy Doody moment with Dave Christensen. Really? That's what that our long? buddy. It's like twenty twelve. Our buddy Sean said, "I need to pull up Winsapita, but it's been a long time." I remember that where it was a ridiculous time of, of year. It was it's almost a decade ago. Part of it could be I should look at the schedule, but COVID. I'm not sure if they played there. If they skipped a year like those back to back weirdness, but it's been a long time since they have won in Laramie. Yeah, they didn't get to play in 2020. Okay. Was that to be in Laramie? Yeah, they yeah, they haven't won since 2012. You are correct. Yeah, it's a long time. So that's uh and Wyoming's had some good teams. They had the Josh Allen year, they had the conference championship year, they went to the title game. They've had Air Force was down probably one of those years, I'm guessing, when they had that what 
only won a couple games, didn't go to bowling, but it's a, it's will be, it should be a game that favors Air Force because they are once again a double digit favorite, fifteen point favorite on the road. CBS Sports Network, a little bit earlier kick for your Friday evening, six p.m. local time there in Laramie. So, where do we start talking about this game? Other than, you know, how well is? <laughs> I mean, it, it seems kind of trite to talk about, but I do think that the you know the the, the crux of this particular matchup is going to revolve around the Air Force's running game versus how well the Wyoming front seven or front six, if you will, can can hold up. Yeah, and that's I think how it it's basically for every game for Air Force, whoever their opponent is. How do we stop Brad Roberts and his Daniels? Yeah, and, and I think that you know uh, a peek at, at Parker Fleming at Stats Award, he has his advanced stats preview that we tend to talk about mostly in terms of like win probability and how all of the things that he examines sort of adds up to how his system thinks a game will play out. Well, mm-hmm. one thing that really stands out to me, uh, at least in the early going, and I and I'm assuming that these are uh, I'm assuming that these are like early season numbers. Um, so maybe he'll reach out to us and correct me if I'm wrong about that. But I'm looking particularly at the difference between offensive sex- success rate on Air Force's side and defensive success rate on Wyoming's side. With the idea of being like, you know, the way that he measures it, we've talked about expected points added every so often, which is essentially, you know, a measure of, of, how many points you can expect to score on a drive given the kind of play that you have on a different kind of, on, on a certain kind of part of the field. So like, for example, third and f- five yards on third and three is obviously better than two yards on third and three. Th- those kinds of things. Clearly. Yeah. You, you can Google it if you want to learn more. Long story short, Air Force's offensive success rate so far is 53.5%. That's third nationally. Pretty good. That includes being fifty six point one percent with the, with its rushing success rate, which is second nationally. Wyoming has not had that same degree of success yet. Their defensive success rate is only forty point two percent, which is ninetieth overall. And in terms of rushing success rate, it's one hundred and fourth, forty point nine percent. So, I think you know it, it's maybe a little simplistic. But I think that's where you start and end talking about this game is, are we going to see the Wyoming defense that showed out a little more stringently against you know Tulsa and Northern Colorado? Or are we going to see the Wyoming defense that more or less got ripped to shreds by a similarly strong running game, I would say, against Illinois? Well, it's a different type of offense you're going up against, obviously. So that's all, this is what it always comes down to. Can you stop this run option attack? And Wyoming, it's they yes. part of it. They they seen it, so it's helpful compared to one off team like Colorado or Northern Illinois, Iowa, Northern yeah. Iowa. Yeah, I mean, so case in point, and and this hasn't been adjusted for sack yardage, so you know, add that a little bit of context to it. But remember that Wyoming gave up over six yards per carry in their opener against the Illini and three touchdowns. The last two weeks against the Golden Hurricane and the Bears, they've allowed under two yards per carry. Hmm. So they've gotten substantially better, but they've done it without necessarily generating any more havoc than they did against Illinois. You know, they had four tackles for loss, for instance, in the, in the season over week zero. And then they had four and they had five in the last two games. So I think, again, that's where you start talking about it. 
you know, because this Air Force offense, this Air Force offensive line in particular, the details have been very much on their game in the early going. So it's going to be a really sort of fascinating individual and group matchup to keep an eye on because if Air Force asserts itself early in the same that they were able to against both Northern Iowa and Colorado, they could win this game pretty handily if Wyoming can't get a hold on it early. Yeah, because it, I'm reading some stuff. I'm like looking over stuff like chatting, not chatting, but here's a, uh, like a Q&A. The guys over at 7220 Sports do a good job about mm-hmm. obviously covering Wyoming. They're like, literally, like, how do you stop Air Force? How do you limit this? And I haven't stopped how do you limit Air Force's uh, defense. And so it's like the stuff they've been asked or looking over or researching. It's like you can't really blitz as much. It's it's kind of basic stuff. We got to be assignment sound. You got to guard your guy. And one, we say all the time, one eleven football. You're guarding your one guy. You can't blitz as much. Not that they need to, but run blitzing is different than pass blitzing, obviously. But if you do the option, if you pass, if you run blitz, that could leave you in a, a in a hole because if Ezek Daniel sees it, they fake the fullback dive. They're bringing in an extra linebacker too, and then you go wide. There's nobody to tackle because everybody you have an extra guy or two going after between the between the guards. And so you can't do that as often. You can be creative with how you get into it and how you try to just, if you're going to blitz, you can't. It's almost just like, all right, guard your guy and don't fall, don't fall for the fakes. But that's easier said than done. But mm-hmm. those are a couple of things where you can't be too also aggressiveness to come to the blitz. Like how aggressive can you be if you're going to go after the quarterback, but he knows that you can do a pitch or you can do like a shovel pass or whatever the fullback dive would be one of those options. It's a, uh, it's it's you got to kind of play a base defense, but still be good at it, like really good at it. And even then, you get the pump fake, you get the sidestep, you get the hip shake, you're gone because then you you bite on it and then you toss you toss it and you you're the guy burns the corner, and you're gone for a gain of fifteen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's a it's just a, it's it sounds simple to say how you stop it, but it's not simple. Clearly, if that makes sense, I'm oversimplifying obviously, but. You just gotta if if you're that nose guard, you gotta take the brunt of the fullback dive. Expect it every time. Because one time you don't, you get beat down the middle for whatever game comes your way. Well, here's the other thing too: if they can't stop it, then it becomes incumbent on the Wyoming offense to try and do what they can to make it a game of limited possessions. Which yeah, you know, we've seen them move the ball here and there, but we haven't seen them do it consistently. I think one discrepancy to keep an eye on in this game is the fact that they've they've definitely underperformed on third downs to date. You know, they're they're 14 of 35 overall, so that's only 31%. Not great, but I think it's worth you know putting that in in sort of early season context. There's really only a couple of teams in the conference that have done exceptionally well on third downs. So it's not like they don't have company in that regard. Yeah. One thing that sort of caught my eye, and this is again from Parker Fleming, Wyoming has also had 77% of its first downs that it's earned on first and second down. And when you compare that to Air Force on defense, you know, they've allowed the Falcons have 80% of the first downs that they've had on those early downs as well. And so I have to think that one of the keys for Wyoming in this game is just trying to do what they can to attack on early downs, or at least put themselves in a position where if they could get, I don't know, seven yards on first down, maybe they roll out Andrew Peasley on a, on a bootleg and he you know dumps it off the tight end or 
or the running back out of the backfield. And they set themselves up with like second and four, second and three. And they use that to move the chains without necessarily having to get into those money downs. If they could do that, which again, we've seen them do it here and there, especially over the last couple of weeks. Then I think it becomes a much more interesting chess match. But I think on the whole, that might be a little bit easier said than done if you're a Cowboys fan. Yeah, they have Titus Swain who can run pretty well. Um, Andrew Peasley has been better, definitely miles ahead of compared to when he what was four or five or 20 against Illinois. Still not mm-hmm. passing great. But yeah, that's the main thing because Air Force wants to do the same thing. They want to keep the ball and make your defense tired. They both want to limit possessions in this game because Wyoming's offense isn't explosive enough. But it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be tricky. It's like, how do you balance that? Because Air Force wants the ball a lot, Wyoming wants the ball a lot. Because fewer possessions favors Wyoming because their offense isn't as, as explosive. But then again, mm-hmm. it's like, well, if Air Force marches down the field and does all these 10 to 14 drive plays that take six to nine minutes off the clock and score, can Wyoming match a long, slow drive just like Air Force? I don't know. They have the running game to do it. But you're right, if they're getting all those first downs on first and second, that's good. But they need to get make it manageable so they can either run or pass. Because Peasley, he can move a little bit with his legs, but his passing's still barely better better than a coin flip on the season well even if you take you know what i mean like that's well i think too what do you mean well i want to give him a, a little bit of credit because since you know since that opener against illinois he's completed 60 percent of his passes in two straight games why do 66.7 against tulsa 63.3 against northern colorado and while it hasn't necessarily been like a lot of explosive plays i think if you if you sort of look past how clunky the entire offense looked in that opener and look closer at how they've improved over the last couple of weeks, I think that there's opportunity there for him. I think the key is really to try and get a little bit better on third downs in particular. Because, you know, and, and, and passer rating isn't always like the best sort of way of measuring quarterback efficacy. But I think it's worth noting that his, his quarterback rating on first and second down is nearly double what it is on third downs to, to this point. Case in point, if you're just looking for a, a nice, clean way to look at this, he's thrown 24 pass attempts on, on third downs, completed nine of them with only five first downs. Hmm. So I think that's a big ask. But at the same time, you know, I also see that Wyoming has only given up two sacks in the first couple of games, you know, the offensive line has actually played pretty well um, in that regard, you know, giving Peasley time to, to, to make plays on the move, even if they haven't always made those plays. And conversely, Air Force only has one sack in the first two games. Interesting. So I think if, if the Cowboys do come out and they lean on a bit of play action, I think there might be something there for him to sort of nickel and dime their way down the field uh, a few different times throughout the game and if if the wyoming defense can make stops that might be all they need to 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 win a close game i don't know but 15 points i just don't see this game being all that close i think air force does too many things too well because their defense has stepped up better than we thought they'd be losing guys Mm -hmm. and i just i just don't think Wyoming can keep pace even though because Air Force, Air Force team isn't winning like 28 to 10. They're scoring 40 plus points a game. And this is probably their toughest opponent. I'd say, I think Wyoming's 
Colorado's they're a bad team. Well, I mean, Colorado, I don't think they're all that different overall talent. Well, maybe not talent wise, Colorado's more, but how good the teams Colorado's are. Bad dude. I'm, Wyoming. I, Wyoming has looked better than Colorado did last week. I'm, let's let's, let's. I'm going to stop you right there. No, no, no. I was getting. I was coming around to say Wyoming's a, the toughest opponent they've played. Oh, okay, yeah. But I'm just saying, like athlete wise, Colorado just because the league they're in and recruiting are probably a few more athletes than Wyoming. That's what I'm getting at. But overall, as a team, this is going to be the toughest challenge. But even yeah. then, I could I could still see, and I'm predicting Air Force to win big in its matchup. So you so want to about the projections then? Yeah, let's get the projections really quick. Okay, uh, SP plus likes Air Force uh, big, relatively speaking, eighty six percent win probability, projected margin of eighteen point eight percent. FEI also likes Air Force relatively big. They favor the Falcons by fifteen point six. And uh, Parker Fleming, Stats O'War on Twitter. His advanced stats preview gives Air Force a 93.33% win probability, uh, projected margin of roughly 28 to 7. So what's your prediction for this one? I think Wyoming will be able to hang tough. I just don't know if they're going to have enough offense to be able to keep up over 60 minutes. So I think it'll probably be – what's the over-under in this game? Uh, the over under it's uh forty seven, so not that many points. I think I would go slightly under. I think Air Force is going to win, but I'm going to say thirty one, thirty one to thirteen. I'm going to say neighbor. I'm going thirty thirty to ten. All right then. I I still think Wyoming has the offense yet. Maybe Swen and Peasley keeps that going, but Air Force team is really good and definitely should be ranked because it's embarrassment that they're not. Still Next plenty game. of time. Though. I, I know, but I want it now. Come on. I want to be ranked up to moments. <laughs> All right. North Texas being green at UNLV. This game is 12 p.m. local time at Allegiant Stadium. It's a Mountain West Network game. So the MW.com backslash watch. Is this on that new silver sports channel they have there in Las Vegas? Whatever it's called. Uh, yes. Um, I'm looking through the UNLV game notes right now. It is referred to as SSSEN. So I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I know they're doing a lot of sport, not just football, basketball, but other sports as well, like volleyball, non-revenue stuff. So that's always good. So if you're locally, check out SSEN, I guess, sport, Silver Sports Entertainment Network, I'm guessing, is what it's called. Um, yeah, and then you got... Yeah, uh, you're correct. Yes, and it, yeah, so Mount West Network as well to watch that, obviously. I'm so learning about a lot might, of new channels this year. I know, there's whew, <laughs> so many new stuff. It's like, all right, all these third-tier rights are not just streaming anymore because it's also it's also able to be watched locally for majority of the games. So Rebels are, again, they're one and one coming off a close loss to Cal last week, and where we're discovering they're having multiple wide receivers. They're getting the ball thrown, not just Kyle Williams back there. They also have a one thing we're wondering, like who's going to take over for Charles Williams, a chuck wagon there. It looks like it might be Aiden Robbins, who has over 100 yards and five yards of carry and three touchdowns. So mm-hmm. they're building something nice. And Brumfield, it's just I want them to be healthy. He has only one interception to five TDs this year. Health-wise was the killer for them last year, quarterback-wise. And they are also a – oh, I didn't mention this. Were they a two-point favorite, two-and-a-half-point favorite? Over-under, they're expecting a ton of points, 63. So I think you know these offenses. And we mentioned our recap defense, like even the guys that, that like uh, Jacoby Windham, Windham and um oh geez was it oh what's Brandon the linebacker Scott. that yeah I was gonna say something completely backwards, 
But like even with those guys out, they are doing quite well defensively. And then you look at North Texas, who's two and one, who this DC Dustin had played, I think was in that heart of Dallas Bowl about a decade ago, where this is the first time 2014. Played in a while. Yeah. That's right, 2014. So, in the they beat UTEP pretty easily, got crushed by SMU, beat Texas Southern, which not a shocker. Um, I won't say the best thing, like the Austin – how do you say his last name? How do you say it? A-U-N-E. On? Uh, Oni, I believe. Oni? Four touchdowns yeah. last week versus Texas Southern. So, he's obviously a solid attack. And with their coach, Seth Latrella, they kind of want – when they had Graham Harrell there a couple years ago, they want to pass the ball a lot. And he already has – what? Not they're not throwing as much. He's about 80, 78, uh, not completions, attempts in a couple of games in three game in three games. So he's throwing reasonably amounts. They have a solid running back with a comp duo combination of these names, man. I'm in, man, how am I gonna pronounce these? Are, I'm terrible. This is gonna be a tough, tough game for me. Io Adei and Oscar Attaway. Oscar Attaway, does that sound right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Io Ade, Oscar Attaway. Well, you also, if you're looking at the depth chart, you're forgetting about Kaika Ragsdale, too. And well, Isaiah Johnson. It's and a committee back there. Yeah, those guys each have double-digit carries. Overall, the running game is just – this includes sack yardage, but they're over five yards of carry running the ball with a handful of breakout plays. And so the mm-hmm. touchdown guy's Attaway, and then oh, – jeez, Eddie I is their main rush. A day. Names. A day, sorry. I'm like, a day and Attaway. They're too close, Matt, and they look completely different when you look at them. So apologies to those two athletes out there. But the running attack – is so, their overall offense is pretty good. They're balanced as well. Their yardage is split down the middle. Their receivers are like deep threat guys. They just pass it to everybody, it seems like. They're 16 yards in its reception. So this is a time where the Rebels defense got to really step it up. Um, I guess the only good thing is, is that um, Austin, whatever, sorry, is only 52% complete. Pa- I apologize. I'm so terrible today. But he's barely over 50% pass completion, completion rate. So while they get a lot of points and yards, that's an area where if the DB gets a hand up and get the sack, they involved no sacks all year to the starting quarterback. Grant Gunnell has played a little bit, but the offensive line is solid for North Texas. So this could be, I think this could be an interesting game in that over under what, 60, what, 63 seems about right. This game could be like first to 40, almost I'm thinking or leaning right now. Maybe. I mean, I think in, uh, for, for North Texas on offense, it's, it's really going to come down to efficiency. Because, you know, yeah. to your point, you know, they've had a lot of explosive plays, but, you know, they're also you know, really struggling, I think, on, uh, I, I want to say they're struggling on third downs in particular, because I'm looking at, you know, third, fourth down success rate. And, you know, it's something that neither team has necessarily covered themselves in glory within, you know, uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview puts North Texas's third and fourth down success rate at only 78 nationally only 36%, you know, by comparison. And I think last, last week against Cal really damaged the rebels in this regard. Uh, they're 126th on offense in, in third and fourth down success rate, 13%. Mm. So you know, if, if North Texas can get on the rebels early, I think that there might be a problem, but I don't think that that's necessarily a given because you know, that was really one of the things that betrayed them most against SMU in particular. You know, that was when they got hammered the most. And a lot of that, I would say, had to do with the fact that they had 18 third down tries and converted only six of them. So if the Rebels defense is for real, and I think that there's there's more and more evidence to suggest that they might be, 
it's really going to start up front with you know how much pressure they can generate on Ani to you know force him into mistakes or at least force him and the rest of that offense into you know drives that sputter out you know at midfield and things like that. So there's going to be a lot on you know your Adam Plants, your Elijah Sheldon's to sort of be able to pick up that slack and and pick up where they left off last week against Cal. Yeah, that because they didn't score, they didn't do all that great last week. They were close, but it wasn't like offense wasn't there clearly. But I think there's plenty of opportunity conversely that that might come around too. Because I think if I, if I had to make a judgment about whether North Texas's defense was closer to Idaho State or Cal, I think it is probably the former, which is not to say that they don't have some star power in the front. You know, they, they almost lost their star linebacker, Katie Davis, to the transfer portal uh, over the offseason, but he decided to come back. You know, he's there in the middle, you know, along with Larry Nixon, Quinn Whitlock. So they do have very talented linebackers. Yeah. Not that that's mattered much in the early going, though. You know, in terms of points per drive through, you know, two games uh, against the FBS competition, uh, Brian Fremo over at BCF Toys is, you know, mentioned or noted that on defense, the mean green are giving up 2.9 points per drive, which is 94th nationally. And in terms of available yards per drive allowed, they're 114th nationally in the first couple of weeks. You know, they've given up. 66% 66% of available yards per drive. So if you're a Rebels fan hoping that, you know, that it's, that explosiveness that we saw a lot of uh, against Idaho State and a little less of against Cal, if you're looking, if you're banking on that to return, I mm. think that there's a lot of things to suggest that it might. Maybe. Well, I mean, think about it. Think about it this way. North Texas, you know, through three games, so small sample size, they've allowed a completion rate of 58%, which is pretty decent, but they've also given up 8.6 yards per attempt through the air, six touchdowns, and zero interceptions. So I think if you're looking for a bounce back game from Doug Brumfeld, I would say that that's a very reasonable expectation. I think the Rebels offense, especially if they've sort of, you know, definitively turned the page on last year's struggles and, 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 you know, because again, they did, it didn't work out all the way against Cal, but they fought back in that game. Exactly. And if they could just do a little bit more of that, then they should win this game reasonably, reasonably handily, I would say. You think so? So that two and a half, you're not, you think they can easily take care of business? I think they could. So what's the advanced number say thing? Because I'm kind of with you. Because I think it opened up at one and a half, if I if I recall. So uh, SP Plus sees that it's relatively close. They does favor North Texas, but it only gives them a 53% win probability, 1.2 points between the two. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling down. Oh, um, North Texas also favored by FEI. Again, very close, one point between them and the Rebels. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives the Rebels a 50.32% win probability. Basically, a, a, like a projected margin of about one-tenth of a point between them. Wow. That's close, obviously. <laughs> so all the way around, you're talking about a 50-50 game, according to the advanced metrics. 50-50. So what do you say? Because I... You seem like you want to blow out for Air Force. I mean, not Air Force, but UNLV. 
I mean, I don't know if I'm going to call a blowout, oh. but I do think that they should win this game. Okay. I'm going to say 31 to 20. Okay, I'm trying to think. You know, be when those times they won by double digits. Do you have that? Do you happen to know that? Didn't they beat New Mexico by double digits last year? Okay, probably that. I'm just trying to think of what they've done. Um, I think UNLV can win too, but I think it's going to be like, I don't know, because like Cal's offense isn't good. And so they held them to 20 points. It wasn't there. I could be off. Was there like a special teams t- or defensive TD or something in that Cal game, UNLV? I'm right thinking of something else. Uh, you know, I don't remember that off the top of my head. Okay. Well, that could be. I don't have the box score in front of me. Yeah, that's not a problem. I think UNLV is going to win like 24 to 20. The defense is fine, but I think North Texas will break through with the big plays capability they have on their hand. But I'm predicting a 2-1 Rebel team. Now I go to UT Martin at Boise State, FS1, um, 2 p.m. local time. No line because it's the FCS team. Um, this is a, a game where Boise needs to figure everything out. Because last week versus New Mexico – their offense was stifled a little bit. They weren't amazing offensively. They needed the – or not needed, but they added a, def- a special teams touchdown with that block punt by uh, Devin, Devin Wright rec- recording the score there. Mm-hmm. I just – I want – here's what I want to see. This is a game where I want to see the offensive line be good. Who's going to run the ball? Like, I don't trust George Sonic. like I've said. Is it going to be um, – what's his name back there? Uh, sorry, Ashton Jetney going to be the guy. Is it going to be – is Taylor Green going to play a lot of quarterback? Like, right now, Taylor Green – he didn't play last week. He's leading the team in rushing with 108 yards. I know he had a 174 yarder, but this is our third game. And Jetney has 88 yards. Halani has 76 yards. If you take away what Taylor Green is not like typical running back play and take away Bachmeyer play, like he had minus 16. So if we just take away about 100 yards, they only have literally 174 yards rushing on the year. This is not a good team on the ground. And this is where I want to see them if they can – and they have no rushing touchdowns by a non-quarterback either. This team is fastly fading into just a meh, whatever type of team. I still – but this is a game where I want to see if they can bring it out and say, hey, we're going to run the ball well, whether it's Jetney, who also leads the team in receiving as well. It's like, who's the wide receiver? Cobb has four catches on the year. Stephen Cobb, we thought, would be the guy. This offense is just mediocre at best at the moment, and this is a game where maybe they can bust out their shell and get some confidence. Maybe, but you know, UT Martin does have some pretty decent defensive pieces, though. You know, they've got, I believe, the preseason, uh, you know, Ohio Valley Conference Player of the Year uh, or Defensive Player of the Year, I think, in John H. Ford. You know, through two games, he already has twenty-five tackles and two sacks. Gotcha. So. So it's I, I I definitely agree with your sort of diagnosis that you know they should be able to move the ball against this UT Martin defense, um, and I would also be troubled if they are as inconsistent as they have been for the better part of two seasons now in doing that because they've been sort of up and down on that side of the ball in the first two weeks. You know they beat Western Illinois, but they lost you know uh, on the road in Missouri State last week. You know, through two games, they're giving up, you know, 413 yards of total offense. So I think, yeah, I think there's room for both state to be able to operate here. You know, on a per play basis, that's about six and a half yards per play that the Skyhawks have given up. Yeah. And I think on top of that, what I also want to see is even if the offense is inconsistent, you know, this is also a game where, you know, 
the, the Skyhawks have a, a better than expected offense that Boise State's defense should be able to take care of, you know, through two games, again, small sample size, but UT Martin is averaging almost seven yards per play, 6.89. They've been pretty good in the early going. You know, their their quarterback dresser win is, you know, having a rock solid start. They have, you know, an up and coming running back in Zach Wallace. So they've been able to make plays and move the ball pretty well. And and even if this game ends up looking a lot like last week's game against New Mexico, I, I think at the end of the day, Boise State fans aren't going to care that much. Yeah, they should win. Like, do you have any advanced numbers on this game? Uh, the only one I have is for uh, SP Plus, which favors the Broncos by a lot, as you might suspect. Uh, 93% win probability, projected margin of 25.3. You think they'll win by four, almost four touchdowns? I don't know if they're going to win by that much. I don't have that much confidence in the offense. But yeah, I do think the me. defense is going to have more than enough to keep these Skyhawks in check. Uh, I'm going to say 28 to 14. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go 31 31 13. I think that'll be a decent amount of scoring, but it'll still be there'll still be some something to be desired, I think, especially in the ground game. So, what's next? What do we got going on next Saturday afternoon? All right. So uh, let's see. Yeah. Colorado State, Washington State, Pac-12 Network, 2 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Mountain. Okay, this is a 17-point favorite for Wazoo, which seems like a lot because they won only 17-14 to versus Wisconsin, and they only scored 24 points against um, Idaho. And they're led by a defensive coach um, who was a Dickie promoter from Jake Dicker. Jake Dickert, sorry, not Dickie, Dickert. And so it's kind of like a Nevada thing, but the, their offense hasn't gotten things together. Like, oh, we're bringing in Cam Ward from Incarnate Ward, throw C or QB coach, whatever he was, coming over to run the offense here. Has not shown itself to be dynamic or even really, honestly, that good. Their defense is a nice surprise by beating Wisconsin with 14 points. But I'm just kind of wondering what's, what's the deal going to be when they play a CSU team who – by the way, we should get you Dante Wright in the transfer portal because we're like, why is he not played? Um, he is apparently leaving because he is not getting playing time, which tried to blame him for what he did the first couple of years and to now basically not see the field for whatever reason. Interestingly, he's still on the depth chart. Was this made before his decision? It probably or was. It, or was this an old depth chart that they just copy and paste? And no, it's it's dated. It's dated for this week. So you know whatever changes have been made. But also, you know, Keaton Camper, the kicker, left the team as well. Oh, I did not see that. That's a. That was a more recent development. So mm. you know they haven't officially announced who's going to take over that particular duty. Uh, you know, a wide receiver. It's pretty clear cut that they're leaning on that trio of, of Tory Horton, Melquan Stovall, and, and Ty McCulloch at this point. Clear. A kicker. Probably going to be Henry Kaplan. So, like, what are we going to see from, like, CSU in this game? Because Norville wants to sling it around. He hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been able to run the ball well. His offense hasn't really been out there to to do what he – which we knew would be the case. It's just been, a, like, Clay Millen, it's like he's a young guy, and that's showing wildly. Hopefully it'll bear fruit down the road in a couple of years, but – They've given they've only scored twenty six points. They've given up uh, eighty five on the year. Mm-hmm. And clearly, this is a point that's in between Michigan and Middle Tennessee State. But lose the Middle Tennessee State loss was just embarrassing because they are a huge 
excuse me, huge favorites in that game. And they don't have a running game. They Tory Horton's like their only lone offensive weapon has all four touchdowns. Like Milkwan Sova has only eight in eight catches in two games. Time like the guys we mentioned, McCullough. Horton's like their only hope to do anything. And there's some chances here, but I don't know, man. They they just seem to be six also okay, hold on. Let me pull this up too. It's just a this can't be right. Have the Rams get really given up sixteen sacks in two games? Yeah, they gave up seven in the opener, and they gave up nine last week. Get this man an offensive line. Mix in a rollout, Coach Norvell. Come on. Like, I looked at him like, wait, that can't be right. 16 in two games? That's on pace for like 100 sacks. That's David Carr the Texans issues, man. I'm like, holy moly. Yeah, it needs to start, needs yeah. to start there and to think, protect them for a minute, right? That's the most important yeah. thing, I believe. Yeah, you are not wrong. And I think, you know, the, the, the we talked about available yards and, and you know, points per drive you know, a, a little bit ago with, uh, with North Texas, I believe. And I think it's worth noting that, you know, Colorado State has really struggled in both of those same regards, too. So, again, we're only talking about two games. So there's plenty of room for, like, variation to sort of iron itself out. But through two games, the Rams are only averaging 0.83 points per drive. That's 120th nationally. Uh, and, and in terms of available yards, it's, it's it's a little bit worse than that. They're 121st nationally, giving up only, or excuse me, moving the ball, earning only 24% of available yards per drive. That's a problem. And I think, you know, it's easy to talk about, you know, Millen taking a lot of shots. And that's because the offensive line has had no cohesion whatsoever. And we talked about it a little bit in the, in the recap podcast a couple of days ago, how, you know, it, it came out that Brian Crespo Haquez is done for the year. You know, Dante Keys got banged up in the last game. So it's sort of an open question as to how they're going to shuffle things around. You know, they have Ches Jackson, who I think saw most of the snaps at left tackle after or throughout the game last week against the Blue Raiders. But there's also been talk that they might move Jacob Gardner from center back out to left tackle, which is where he was at Nevada for two years. But I think there's there's no obvious solution there just because they haven't really proven that they can block consistently. And so so I, I look at the fact that, you know, yeah, they, they didn't really create Washington State didn't really create a lot of havoc last week against Wisconsin. But then I look at the you know, the week by week results and I think to myself, okay, well, they had six sacks against Idaho. And they had 12 TFLs against against the Vandals. So what do I think is more likely to happen? Is it more likely <laughs> yeah. that the, the Rams offensive line is going to take a step forward in one week? Or is it more likely that the Cougars defensive line, you know, led by you know some very, very good strong talents, you know, Ron Stone Jr., Brennan Jackson, especially. Are they going to be able to get in there and just continue to make everybody's life miserable on that offense? And I'm and, and I think I know what my answer is. If you're asking me, answer? yeah, what's your answer? Oh my my answer is they're gonna they're gonna cause all kinds of nightmares. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I'm just such, I want to hear you say it out loud sometimes, just so people know, and not just oh, I think that's oh what yeah. I'm saying. No, I understand. Like, what you're uh, so, um, we did a Q and A with the guys at Cooks. I'm trying to find it, but my email is, is a mess here. I'm trying to see. But I know our brother Josh did a Q&A with them. But there are also potentially three guys um, out for this game, potentially, from mm-hmm. Coach Dickard said. So it's like, that could be it's line, like Jordan Lee, 
Derek Langford, Travion Brown. I'm not sure what their exact status is, but a couple of guys could be out game time decisions. So that's a, could be something, but I don't know if it really matters that much, man. Cause if you can't block and you're giving that much sack, you can put your third string out there and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it would be main key guys. Like they'd have to go to younger guys who are not as experienced. I still know what the Rams, what the Rams are going to do. And offensively, it's like, if you're not blocking, like mix up your scheme a little bit. I know watching what Norville did at Nevada, they have running, they had Toa Tau who catch them all the backfield that if they have a passing back, that could alleviate that with some screen plays. But they just got to tweak the offense a little bit if they're going to do something to help the offensive line to help the quarterback. Because I know Washington almost lost to Idaho, but it's like it could have just been a weird, like, well, we're not ready or it's, uh, we're probably think you're going to win, not preparing. This Rams team is bad, man. They are really bad. And I don't know if they're going to, if this is even going to be a three touchdown game. Really? Well, yeah. What, what what confidence do you have in the Rams scoring points? I think it has less to do with the Rams and more to do with whether Washington State is going to be able to get it together. Because it's been okay. sort of slow going so far. I know, but the Rams give up over 30 work. points. They give up a bad middle Tennessee State team, 30-something points. Maybe they'll yeah. break through, but it takes time to go from incarnate word level FCS to Pac-12 play, essentially. And they haven't played Pac-12 teams yet, so maybe that could be a thing where it just takes them a minute to get going. But their offense hasn't clicked, which is fine, but maybe that's what I'm banking on. But I'm just thinking overall the team, the Rams can't score points. The Rams can't really stop anybody. Like three touchdowns, honestly, obviously, could be 21-0. That's not a lot of points for Washington to score. Not, not saying that's the final, but it'll be – I just don't trust the Rams. And so I'm betting on Ward and the Wazoo to at least have more of a pulse to play them against a team that can't do much. Yeah. I mean, they, the, the, the Cougars have just been more middling on offense than anything. And so, you know, what I talked about a minute ago with Colorado State's struggles to move the ball, you know, the Cougars have really been no exception to that either in terms of available yards. I'll just throw that out there one more time. You know, the, the Cougars, Washington State, they're 105th nationally. You know, they're, they're only earning 34% of available yards per drive. And so I think if that keeps up, which again, sort of a big if, but that's really one thing that I think both these teams have in common. Neither of them have been particularly successful about converting on third downs. That's a problem. You know, Colorado State right now is, is dead last in the Mountain West. You know, they've only converted 20% of their third down opportunities. But also, Wazoo hasn't been much better. You know, they're only 8 of 24 overall. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, getting into a fist fight last week with the Badgers when they were only 2 of 11. But I think that that is something that bears watching, at least. Yeah, I'm going through, yeah, I'm going through Q&A, kind of some questions I asked a guy. I haven't posted this yet, but it will be up on MWR.com. They are very concerned with Cam Ward and the OC coming over, partly because mm-hmm. Cam Ward, it's kind of what we said, getting used to FBS play. Like even playing, well, I guess Wisconsin is a pretty big deal, but Idaho should have been fine. But he's not doing many reads. He's stopping like after the second read. Offensive line is doing better than they thought. But however, they, they say the depth is excruciatingly, excruciatingly, very thin. I can't speak that. Excruciating. Mm. Maybe they mistyped the word, but very thin. Sorry, excruciatingly thin. That's what I'm looking for. That's like just if you look at that word, Matt, excruciating, and like okay, then you add the ly. It's like is that what it really means or says? Mm. But it's very thin. So that could be a problem too. So maybe this is a chance for the Rams up front to make some plays and get to the quarterback. Like maybe Carter will make a play or something. But um, 
they're still TBD at the moment how good they can be. And so that's an area maybe if he's still getting used to that offensive type of play in the FBS or to me seeing a defense at the FBS level, maybe it's just another game where it's like, all right, here's what we're doing and we got to figure things out. So as for us getting that with the experience he has, it's uh, with that offensive line and Ward and all that's like, yeah, Rams might be a team where this is the cure for his uh, offensive woes to go away possibly, but Rams have a chance maybe to like to make some noise against the defense or offensive front with their defensive line. So I don't know. Um, they also mentioned pressure is a way to get to him. So if that, if the offensive line is thin, they wear him out a little bit and make plays that, that seems to be an area where, they can get Ward in trouble or it's kind of get them flustered if they can get to the backfields. That might be their key to like a victory and keeping point totals uh, lower than we'd expect. Yeah. There's, there's only one problem with that though. And they don't have that. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Who besides Muhammad Kamara is providing it right now? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying why was he may present the opportunity for somebody else to step up, but you're not wrong with that statement. I mean, because again, you know, they were basically non-competitive in terms of generating a pass rush against Middle Tennessee State and 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 Michigan, and I really don't see where that's going to be much different. You know, that it's maybe the one big question that I had coming about this or coming into the season about this team that they just haven't resolved. And I think maybe just as much as as sort of the offensive line woes, I think that is another one of those things that I thought was more likely to hold them back, but it's, it's definitely been a culprit in these early season struggles. Yeah. So what is, what is CSU going to do to win? Like, are they going to find a running game? Are they going to pass it? Like if we go to their side of the ball, like, I don't know. We kind of mentioned here, there, but if Millen's protected, does he have a potential to have a decent game? Because well as his defense has been pretty good. I don't know. We've kind of discussed that, but I'm just trying to think of ways they can win. Cause it's, it's kind of, picking and choosing and going through the weeds like okay maybe this maybe if this team can do that i just uh honestly it's hard for me to see a path for victory against this team against why i, I wonder honestly. i wonder if maybe one of the things that could help is trying to throw the ball a little more often because one of the thing one of the surprising discrepancies i think between these two teams at least in the early going and if i'm reading this correctly i hope i am um, one of the other statistics that Parker Fleming puts out there is uh, is a metric called rush rate over expected, which is essentially how much more often do you run the ball than an average team given a situation. And as you might expect, Washington State in the early going is, or, and maybe these are last year's numbers, I'm not entirely sure, but the, they put the Cougars at 33.8%, which is 12th nationally. So they're they're running it, you know, or less than you know the time that you would have expect. Colorado State's at sixty point seven, which is one hundred and first. So they're running the ball a little more often on first downs, and I wonder if maybe a mix of that is is something that's in order. Just trying to get the ball out of Millen's hands a little more often, or a little and a little more quickly to boot. Maybe it's like, but can they do it? It's like, my question is, can they do anything? And that's about the question I'll game. Once they show me, then I'll kind of believe it. But I don't know at the moment, but, but you're passing more is what Norville wants to do. So I'm wondering why he's not doing it. And that's why it's weird where they had a guy like Dante Wright, who's now on the portal where they had another weapon where they're not u- utilizing. So I'm not entirely sure if he's going to pull out the, let's just throw more and see what happens, which I think is what we thought they would be doing 
even in the early years, early, not early years, but I guess early part of the career of him moving to a new school with new system, new players, you still think like, well, let's just run my offense, but he's not quite there yet, I don't think. Yeah, like let's put it this way. On first downs, you know, Ajon Bivens, who's been the lead back, he has 11 carries on first downs for only 45 yards. So only four yards per play, four yards per carry. Yeah. If that's not getting it done, then you need to try something different. And if that means putting Millen out on his shield a little bit sooner, you know, maybe that's what it takes to try and pull an upset on the road. Yeah, I just uh, I just don't see it. Um, do you want to give the projection numbers real quick before I give a score? Sure. So SP Plus likes Washington State, 84% win probability, projected margin of 17.4 points. Uh, FEI also likes the Cougars. Uh, they favor Wazoo by 19.9. And uh, Parker Fleming has its stats, advanced stats preview gives Wazoo a 92.97% win probability, a projected margin of roughly 31 to 10. See, there's my three touchdowns right there. 31 to 10 without scoring a lot of points. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Wazoo's offense is as good as it used to be just based on who their coach is. But I'm going to go 28-9 for Washington State. I think they're going to score a little more, but I do think the Cougars are going to win pretty comfortably. I'm going to say 38-17. to All right, Nevada versus Iowa, Big Ten Network, 4.30 Pacific time. Um, Do you see the new over-under in this game, Matt? Do you see it in front of you? I do not. Okay, there's two things that are shocking. This is not the smallest over-under for the weekend the Mountain West play. Iowa's favored by 23 points. The over-under line is 39. Fascinating. That is 39, than, really? That's like that's like less than most NFL games. <laughs> that's impressive. Have, no, it's not. It's not impressive. It's embarrassing. I mean, when you, you think see, about it, it really kind of is. Oh, fine. Because of that bad? <laughs> Did you see the Bob Stoops and Fran McCaffrey stuff this week about Iowa, Iowa's offense? Uh, oh, you were talking about the thing on Cameo? Yeah. <laughs> I heard a little bit about it, but why don't you tell our listeners? So I also put them I, – I don't have a step to play it, but Cameo, for those who are unaware, you can pay celebrities or famous people or whatever, like, hey, happy birthday, have a great day, Bill, or whatever, just kind of – and you pay anywhere from a dollar to – could be a couple hundred dollars. Some people do it for charity. Like really fans people, but Bob Stoops. First off, do you want to guess how much Bob Stoops cost to be a cameo from him? Former Oklahoma like coach, two hundred dollars or something like that. You're close. It's two fifty. That's impressive. <laughs> Fran McCaffrey, Iowa basketball coach, fifty dollars. So what they did? Because you hear these people, they go, "Oh, wish happy birthday to my person here, my friend." It's a, it's like a serial killer, somebody mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's like, ooh, don't you know what you're doing? Um, but this was. Iowa football is embarrassing. They cannot. They are literally elite on defense, elite on special teams. Send some players in the NF, to the NFL, but their offense is literally. Get you know what? Iowa is jealous of San Diego State's offense. That's how bad it is. Sorry, Aztecs, but that's a fun example. So what they made them do? These guys do. They go, hey Brian, who Brian Ferentz is the OC for Iowa and also the son of head coach. Uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, Kirk Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz. I don't know why I was going to say Frank Ferentz. Like, that's not right. But he's a son. And their offense literally scored seven points against South Dakota State, two safeties, and a field goal. 
So they basically gave some glowing reviews, like, hey, maybe it's time to, not a review, but like, hey, Brian, it's time to go get out of the family business. Maybe for, get on your own past. Iowa loves you or go here, just kind of. And they made the basketball coach and Bob Suits. Go check him out and listen to them. But they're basically clearly poking fun of him because how bad it is. And it's like, hey, maybe break away from the family business and go do this or go do that. Or it's bad. This offense is ridiculously bad. Like, I don't blame the players. I blame the coaching staff, head coach and OC, mostly the head coach for not firing his son. And also they're just complete waste, which is why Nevada, this line went up. It was like 21 when it first opened on Sunday. There's, I don't want to say zero, Matt, because that's pretty bold, but there's no way Nevada doesn't cover this game. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to argue with the body of evidence that the Hawkeyes have put out there. <laughs> They're like, not this good. Off- this offense is linked. You know, available yards percentage. You know, we just talked about it with Colorado State. Um, Iowa's offense has been worse than Colorado State's in available yards percentage. You know, the Rams were 121st, like I mentioned. Iowa's 123rd in that regard. They've also scored 0.58 points per drive, which is 124th. This is sound the only, re- the only reason they've split their game so far, or or no, they won. No, they lost Iowa State last week, didn't they? Uh, I think it's 13 to 10. I, yeah. So you know the the only reason it's been as close as it has been is that you know in terms of defensive points per drive, the Hawkeyes are 16th nationally. They're allowing under a point per drive. You know, and and while they've given up a little bit more ground in terms of available yards percentage, they're still basically top 40 on that side of the ball. So that's really where you start looking at this game is okay, if you're the Nevada offense and you know, by and large, you have made strides from, from week zero to week one to week two. They scored 47 points against Incarnate Word, but they put up points. But what exactly are you going to do against this Iowa defense? Because they've got stars. You know, they've got yeah. Riley Moss at cornerback. You know, they've got Jack Campbell at middle, middle linebacker. You know, they've got guys up front, you know, Lucas Van Ness, John Wagner. Like, you know, there's a reason Iowa is known the way that they are. Because they they get after the quarterback, they create havoc. You know, they they basically you know draw more three and outs than just about anybody else in the country. They make it a de- as much of a defensive slog as they possibly can. You know, case in point, you know, one of their defensive backs, Quinn Schulte, already has four passes broken up, which I I would without I would hazard a guess that that is probably the most in the country after two games. It's not, but it's close. I just looked it up as I was talking. Mm. But case in point, you know, if you're Nevada, what exactly is your poison here? You know, do you try and stay balanced and try and lean on Toatawa and Devontae Lee? Because, you know, for the most part, that has worked. You know, what is it that Nevada is averaging on a per carry basis right now? I'm trying to look that up. Um, I had all in front of me, but I think they're going to have to do their thing because – Maybe they need, with Iowa's offense being so bad, maybe the defense can score a player. Special teams comes into play. They got Brandon Talton, kicks a long field goal, yeah, so, perhaps. So as a, t- as a team, they're they're at three and a half yards per carry, but that, that doesn't account for sacks or anything like that. Tawa and Lee in particular are both averaging between four and four and a half yards per carry. So if you're thinking four and a quarter, or do you think you're going to get that against this defense? Because I would have my doubts. 
No. And if that's the case, how much do you want to put on, you know, whoever's shoulders that you're throwing out there as your quarterback one? Because, you know, at least if you're looking at the depth chart, that still hasn't been totally resolved. But, you know, Nate Cox and Shane Ellingworth are still tied down with an oar. We know Cox played really? the entire 60 minutes. Yeah, they are. Mm, I don't buy it. So, so what are you going to do? Like I said, what are you going to do to attack this defense? And, and, you know, what are you going to do differently? Maybe that can improve on what South Dakota state and Iowa state were going to do. I don't know that there are any obvious answers though. Guess what? You know what I'm going to say? This might be the obvious, here's the obvious answer. It doesn't matter. All you literally need, I'm not kidding, 10 points can get you the victory in this game. You're telling me they can't, can't come up with 10 points? <laughs> I mean, have you seen the way Iowa's played defense so far? I th- okay, so actually, yeah, you know what? I'm going to – You're not I'm wrong. Gonna, rather, than, rather than answering your question with a question, I'm going to give you what I think is going to be the likeliest path to victory, and that's okay. getting back to winning on defense, creating turnovers, creating short fields. That's that's probably more. That's because what I mean. That you bring it all, and you the because, offense is so bad for Iowa. Yeah, they stop and can field position is going to be huge in this game. I think, and that's probably no, no, no. They, they, they cannot afford to settle for field goals, though. It gets his it team. Yes, you can. It, Come on. No, you can. I because I think you need to get a touchdown at least one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iowa. I will agree. I will agree. I mean, okay. Well, it depends on my points I could score, but I think. Yeah, I think you're we right. Just talked about, we just talked about we just talked last week about how two or three teams doomed themselves by settling in the red zone. That's On true. the road, in a situation like this, you cannot play for half measures. Especially because this Iowa offense has its fans gnashing their teeth online seemingly every day because Spencer Petrus is still the starting quarterback. Oh, you want to know some fun stats about him? Chris Murray at Nevada Sports Center put some stuff together. So Tell he's he's there, they're sticking with him as starting quarterback this year. He is only, this goes back to last year, 40, 45.1% completion rate, not good. 201 yards in two games, not good. Ran the ball seven times, minus 24 yards. I'm guessing they're sacks. But here's the thing in his last eight games, Matt, and Iowa overall, they're like a good team, right? They are a team at yes. or t- how many they touchdowns? Were the, they were in the Big Ten championship this last year. Oh, really? They were. They got blown up okay. by Michigan, but they were there. Okay. And their last eight games, so two this year and six last year, including bowl game, Big Ten title game, and whatever else they played before. How many touchdown passes do you think he has? Probably like six. One. Oof. That's rough. <laughs> Nine interceptions as well. So, okay, so I'm going to give you one matchup that I've got my eye on very closely in this matchup. And and when I say the defense needs to get back to winning and creating opportunities for itself, mm-hmm. one thing that I'm looking at in particular is Dom Peterson yep. versus Iowa's new center, Logan Jones. Sophomore, Knock him on his six butt, foot three, 283. Here's the, here's the thing. I'm going to put the proper context around this so you can see how important I think this could be. Thank you. You're talking about a guy who converted from defense to the offensive line in the spring. Okay. You're talking about a guy who's replacing a first-round NFL draft pick, Tyler Linderbaum. You're talking about Linderbaum having been the best center in the country last year in terms of, like, pro football focuses overall grade. And, And if memory serves, it wasn't even particularly close. Through two games, 
By contrast, Jones is the worst qualifying center anywhere in the Big Ten. An overall grade of only 48.1%. So if I'm Nevada, I'm thinking to myself, okay, number zero, go out there and win this ballgame for us. Get some help from your dudes in the middle, Dion Washington, James Hansen, who also very quietly has been pretty solid in the first few games. Christopher Love, those guys. I think that particular unit could go a long way towards helping Nevada spring whatever upset bid they're going to try and pull. If they can put pressure on the interior of that Iowa deep offensive line, I think the Hawkeyes can crack. Okay. Am I wrong to uh, should I do it and pick Nevada for the win? You're more than welcome to. The over under is 39 points. Would you like to know the advanced numbers before you make a decision? Of course. I've not filled out my or Google Doc yet because I was late on sending it to our staff. So, yes, I need to make a good decision. So, uh, so SP Plus likes Iowa, 92% win probability, projected margin of 24.6 points. FEI also likes the Hawkeyes, but not by as much. They only favor them by 13.1. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Hawkeyes a 90.87 win probability. Projected margin of roughly 19 and a half to one. I wonder how that math works out. <laughs> Why? What the? Uh, 1.11. You can go look for, your, for yourself uh, at Stats of War on Twitter. So it's like a combined 21 points? That's a combined uh, roughly 20 points. Take the under, right? Is that the obvious play here, first of all? probably i was looking on sunday i actually have a few things in the books there over under when i saw on sunday was 41 and a half it's dropped um i think nevada can win because how bad iowa's offense is but it'll take a special teams type of play or a good defensive play to step a short field but i think nevada's gonna win but it's gonna be like honestly i'll go 17 to 6 I think it might be the ugliest game that any Mountain West team plays this year. And I think that has more to do with Iowa than Nevada. Um, oh, yeah. We, but I'm we take, know Nevada's not great, but, man, Iowa. I'm like, going to take the Hawkeyes to win, though. I'm going to say 14-3. to three. How? Like, how are you a fan of this team? I'm not saying I am. No, 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 no. I'm just saying in general, not you. I'm like, if you're Iowa fans, how are you a fan of this oh, team? Oh, okay. I didn't know you were talking to me out there. I, Sorry, just a I thought you were no. talking to me about Iowa football. I was like, well, I don't watch that on purpose. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just wondering because I I don't I, I don't have time. To I value I value my time too too much to watch Iowa football more than is absolutely necessary. You know why our buddy Daniel Fresno says I only like offense. This is why I only like offense. I don't want to watch a team win seven to three and score no touchdowns. That's why I'm off anyway. the guy, buddy. UTEP at New Mexico. <laughs> Oh, wait, your score. Oh, yeah, you gave your score, right? What was yours again? Yes, I did. 14 to 3. 14 to 3. Oh, my gosh. You tip at New Mexico is the lowest over under the weekend, Matt. 38 and a half over under. UTEP is a field goal favorite. This is at Albuquerque. It's on the Mountain West Network. Is there a local feed for this one on TV? I didn't know. Uh, yes, there is. It is my 50 TV. So oh, if you're in the main... Albuquerque area, uh, figure out whatever channel that's on. 50 you just said up my 50 there you go i mean i didn't i don't i don't know if it's like actually 50 or if it's something else you never know what if it's not, these days 
if it's not, it's stupid, right? It's a dumb marketing. Yeah. You're like, what are you guys doing? It's like my 22. We're on channel six. There you go. <laughs> no. All right. So UTEP, I got a Q&A with the guys over at ESPN there in El Paso coming up shortly. Are you surprised that the uh, Miners are a field goal favorite? They're sitting at one and two. They are – see, who have they played this year? I, I closed my tab out there. Well, they, not... they, they lost to North Texas. Okay, yeah. Who's not great? Um, who else did they – I'm trying to remember who else they, they played. Crushed by yeah, they Oklahoma. lost to Oklahoma In, and then beat New beat Mexico State last week, but which should not come as a surprise to anybody. No. I'm surprised because New Mexico played reasonably well defensively against Boise State last week. They weren't great, but they weren't bad. I, I know what the, why the Lions like to slow in that because they don't trust the offense. For Because look how bad they were with um, Kendrick Miles throwing the ball against Boise State, which he was very non-existent and not good. And so yeah, that's I mean, I think I, where it starts at. I think we're why Lobos are an underdog. If I had to guess why UTEP is is a slight favorite on the road, I would wager it's because they've been a little bit better on offense overall. And maybe that yeah. is a, a big part of that is having played one more game. But, you know, they you know, moved the ball fairly well, and I don't know how much of it is, is garbage time movement, but they averaged over eight yards of play against Oklahoma. On the year, they're averaging over six yards of play, so maybe that's inflated a little bit. Excuse me, I'm looking at total defense. What am I looking at right now? <laughs> okay, scratch that. Because <laughs> I was I was looking at total I was looking at total defense rather than total offense. So let me flip that around then to say that you know the offense is trying to be more or less what it was last year, but they just haven't had the same amount of success so far. You know, because they were definitely a deep shot team last year with with Gavin Hardison, with Justin Garrett, with Jake Cowling sort of leading the way in the passing game. But, you know, through three games, Hardison's completion rate is only 50%, basically. Um, But at the same time, he hasn't thrown any interceptions, which is good. His yards per attempt average has fallen through the floor, though. It was nine last year, and and it's only 5.9 through the first three games. So I think that's where you start looking at this game is – you know, they, they do have some pieces that I think that they feel they can rely upon. You know, Tyron Smith has 19 catches. So does Ronaldo Flores. Um, you know, they have a guy on the, on the come up that they like, Kelly Akiari, uh, who has seven catches. But none of those guys have simply been as explosive as they were last year. You know, Smith, in 2021, averaged over 17 yards catch. So far this year, 13.3. You know, same with Flores, who he's already passed his, his total of receptions from last year when he averaged 15.7 yards per catch. This year, he's at 12.4. So if I'm the Lobos and I'm Rocky Long and I'm not secondary in particular, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we don't think that UTEP can stretch the field in the same way that they did last year. What are we going to do to make them pay for that if they think that they can continue trying? And I think that's where you start thinking about this game. Okay. Mm. But you think that, like, beyond that, like, what else is there then? If you wanted to think, you start there, then we go to step number two. Well, a step step number two is UTEP's defense is a lot closer to Maine than it is to Boise State. Ooh, I like to hear that. You know, 
because Oklahoma <laughs> pushed them around. Right. Oklahoma pushed them around. Let's like let's be honest about that. Okay, what's Oklahoma? Come on, what do you expect? But you know, the, both North Texas and New Mexico State had some moments too, and so you know that's where I you know I look at this particular you know unit. I look at UTEP's defense in particular. One thing that they haven't been quite as effective as doing, at least in the early going, their defensive line has not necessarily generated that strong of a pass rush yet. Only four sacks on the year. You know, two apiece against both the Sooners and the Aggies. But I do wonder, like, even with the Lobos offensive line that's, you know, continued to undergo some shuffling, you know, they they just lost DJ Wingfield, if memory serves for the year. Um, so they're already having to have their their own sort of offensive line shuffling. I believe they're moving Tavian Ford into the starting lineup at right guard, or excuse me, right tackle. I but I think there's an opportunity that. here for the Lobos to sort of right themselves in that regard. Where you know, last week Boise State defense, at least in my from my perspective, was able to sort of lock down the New Mexico receivers. I think there's going to be more opportunity for them to you know earn yards after the catch to be able to, you know, maybe take advantage of a UTEP defense that's been pushed around in that regard through the air. Yeah. So if we look overall, because neither of these teams are all that talented, right? I'm sorry to say, but it's they're not. Am I correct in saying is that okay to say? Is that too mean? They they both have strengths. I just happen to think in this particular game, this particular year, most of that strength on both sides is concentrated on defense. Yeah, it makes sense. Because like I said, when they play Boise, they play pretty well. Gonzalez and Rocky Long are doing their thing in Albuquerque. And that's why right. I think if Mexico's going to get a win, which I think they will, I think they can. Because when we look at UTEP's offense to a degree, yeah, 31 versus North Texas, okay. Only 20 versus – or no, excuse me, 13. They lost that game, my bad. Mm-hmm. 20, they, haven't scored, they haven't scored three touchdowns in the game all year. So the offense is an issue. They quarterback plays barely at 50%. The rushing game is not great. Like Ronald Awat has like the one big running play, but besides that, it's nothing. Their biggest issue for New Mexico would be the receivers, I think. Because with Tyron Smith and Flores Delta, those are the two guys who can make them pay. And despite the percentage not being great, they have the, uh, a handful of big plays. So I think if UTEP's going to win, that's going to kind of where they're going to try to do it, like get those deep plays, deep threat downfield. Mm-hmm. And but I, I'm leaning Lobos, man. Like I just have a feeling they're going to get a win this game because UTEP is just yeah. And also people forget this is a big old rivalry game when they used to be in the WAC forever ago. So this is a kind true. of a big, it's a pretty big deal. So hopefully a lot of fans show up for this game. But I'm I'm leaning toward Lobos getting a win just because I think I know offensively they're not good, but I just think their defense what they've doing well enough for Boise State, like I think they can get it done, but I think it'll be a close game and low scoring game as well. So interestingly, the, uh, the advanced metrics are split on this one. Sounds about right. It probably does actually. Um, not, not a huge consensus though, not a huge split. Uh, SP plus favors UTEP, but they only give the miners a 52% win probability, a projected margin of 0.8 points. Uh, conversely, FEI likes New Mexico. They give the Lobos a margin of 2.7 points. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives the Miners an 82% win probability projected margin of roughly 24 to 12. They're going to win by 12 points? Interesting. Well, that's just what the model calls for. 
I know, but hey, the model says a double-digit victory. I don't think that's the case at all. What's your score projection? I mean, I think, I think, even if I think that the strength of the, both of these teams is on defense. I think if there's going to be a break that's created, I think the Lobos are slightly more likely to make one. Okay. And I think it's going to come down to their secondary in particular, making a big play that maybe flips the field. So I'm going to take New Mexico to win. And again, may not be the prettiest result. I don't think they're going to care if they come away with the W. I'm going to say 20 to 14 New Mexico wins. So you take the under, which is very low this game. Uh, I think I'm going leaning Lobos too. I'm going to go touch score closer. I'm going 21 17 Lobos. All right, then. All right. Let's, let's continue to the weird lines of the weekend, Matt. San Diego State visiting Utah, 7 p.m. Pacific, ESPN 2. Somehow Utah is a three touchdown favorite, and I don't know what to make of that. That seems like way too much. Even though Utah just won 73 to 7 over Southern Utah last week. But then again, it's Southern Utah. So I'm assuming you probably watched more of that game than I did. Actually, I didn't watch any of the Utah Southern Utah games. I had no interest in watching my team beat the FCS team to, to death. So no, I watched so zero then, seconds so then, of that game. So then what are you concerned about in this game? Oh, Utah. What, what do you mean concerned about? Like overall, well, I think I think San Diego State's a good team still. So here the Utah is young at linebacker linebackers a little bit. Like they had to replace Devin Lloyd with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. They brought in some, um, some guys who just seemed to be because one guy they brought in was interesting. He came over from Florida, and he like was, are you talking about Muhammad Muhammad uh, Diabiti? Yeah, Muhammad Diabiti. Yeah, I could never say his name right. So I'm like, let me double check. Like people were like, they didn't care who left Florida, and it showed in the Florida game where he was just kind of yeah, I'm walking out here, not trying to play that hard. It seemed like, but they have I, my concern is that. I, my concern is not that Utah probably won't win. My, my concern, I guess, is not like maybe I'm looking at more betting purposes, but Utah being a three point, fa- a 21 point favorite, three touchdowns seems like a lot. When these two teams, Utah and San Diego State, want to win the same way defense, run the ball. Utah has some tight ends that are like really, really, really good. Aztecs have Jesse Matthews, a really, really good receiver. Utah throws it a bit better with Cam Rising, but they're very similar teams how they want to win. Even though Kyle Woodingham's like, we're going to throw the ball, spur it up more. We have good right receivers. I'm like, I don't buy it. Like Devon um excuse me. Sorry, um, about to sneeze here. Devon Vailey, yes. I was trying to, whatever. Like, they're like, oh, he's just a great guy, super fast and good. He has five catches. He's not showing anything. I don't, when coaches say something, I don't believe him when it's been 20 years of, yeah, we'll give it to running back. We'll give it to Tavion Thomas. We'll give it to, uh, maybe Chris Curry, maybe just freshman Jalen Glover, Glover will be good, but we're going to, no, we're really going to throw the ball a lot. I don't believe it. Even when they beat Southern Utah, guess who the leading receiver was, Matt? A tight end. Well, who, need, who needs wide receivers when you have a legion of tight ends like Utah does? I know, but when they say they're going to do it, they never do it. That's the thing. It's like, I want, like, again, I'm an offensive you've guy. Got, I want them to you've, do- got, you've got two tight ends averaging over 10 yards of catch. I wonder how many tight ends, I wonder how many programs in the entire FBS have that right now. Hey, Utah Which, has li- the best tight ends in the country. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to deny that. But when they say we're going to throw the ball around, but then here's the reason why that's a concern. Like when you go look at the Florida, if you watch the Florida game, watch all of it because work in mm-hmm. team want to watch them play. But the point being, you've got to have wide receiver at certain points of the game to catch the ball. You can't just rely on those 100% of the time, specifically when you're playing a team with a good defense like the Aztecs have. 
if they can clamp down a little bit on these guys, Money Parks, eh, he has potential, a great name, but nothing. Jalen Dixon can't catch the ball to save his life. But Solomon Enos has two catches on the year, nothing great. Like, if they could slow down Dalton Kincaid or Brent Keithy, Aztecs have a real chance to win this game. It's just that the Aztecs offense is far inferior to what Utah can bring to the table. So I'm going to pose a question to you. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer to, you know, I'm going to pose this to the listener too, because I think the answer is going to determine a lot in who wins this game. Which offensive line do you like more? I'm trying to think. Uh, I'd say Utah. They've only given up one sack. They run the ball. And I think well. it's, and I think it's worth noting too that Thomas is going to be the best running back on the field. Oh, by far, yeah. You know, and and he's been relatively consistent through through two games. Like he didn't have that much work to do in Southern Utah, but you know he's still averaged you know about four four point eight yards per carry throughout the year. Already has three touchdowns, and he's fresh. He only had 11, 11 rushing attempts last week against SUU. So. You know, he's going to be coming into this game motivated, and and it's worth remembering he didn't really play in this matchup last year. Fumbleitis, that's the problem last year. He got benched early one, on for not carrying the ball. And then that's the thing, too, last year. Cam Rising came in late in the game over uh, Charlie Brewer to force overtime. The mm-hmm. running game wasn't great. The offensive line wasn't gelling last year early on. But honestly, okay, you say Tavian Thomas could be the best running back. Honestly, the best running back could be Jalen Gulliver, but he won't see much play time because he's a young freshman. He eventually could be, but he doesn't get a lot of playing time. But Thomas is probably the best offensive player on either side of the ball in this game. Maybe even so, more so. so than, I think, well, no, I'd say Brent Keithy, but he's the best running back of the two teams. So one thing I'm one thing I'm thinking about and looking at with this game is okay. So we saw sort of a we saw a revitalized performance from the from the San Diego State defense last week against Idaho State. Mm-hmm. We called it a get right game. They got right in that respect. For the most part, yeah. But you have to remember that in that Arizona's in that Arizona loss, they did not generate a lot of havoc. They only had four TFLs, only had one sack in that game. So that I think is going to go along. So when I say which offensive D line do you like more? You know, what yeah, that I mean, really means is which what that also means, rather, is which defense do you trust to get in the quarterback's face more often? And I think after two weeks, I don't know if I'm as sold on San Diego State's ability to do that as I am on Utah's. Yeah, Utah guys are guys like I don't think I don't think there's really good, really really good. I don't think there's a huge gulf between them, but there I, I think there's definitely a little more what I call prove it on San Diego State's side. You know, they have to get to, to rising a little more often than they got to Delora two weeks ago. I think that's what I'm saying overall. Yeah, and Rising can run a little bit too, so does that affect as well? He has 85 yards on the year. So far. yeah. Also, here's the thing too. Like Braxton Burmeister, Essex quarterback, showed he's not injured, which is good. He had the long touchdown touchdown run versus Idaho State. He was 15 and 26 last week. TD, no picks, 108 yards. Um, here's a problem though. If he's gonna throw the ball, like just like Utah has an All American DB at Clark Phillips, essentially mm-hmm. or preseason All American, mostly second team. They're not gonna throw the ball his way. So if he's up on probably Jesse Matthews. Don't expect much from him because Clark Phillips is that good. So that's something mm-hmm. as well. It takes away a huge weapon 
even though the Aztecs don't throw a lot, they need a guy to have like five for 75 in this game minimum to maybe get the win for the top receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who knows? Like Jordan, they last week started to tell Jordan Bird ran a lot, or not a lot, but eight had four carries. James Bell had four carries. Jalen Armstrong had five for 96 with that huge 61 yarder. Um, I, I think Aztecs are run the running back my committee. They don't have the main guy. So that could be an area where it could maybe wear down the Utah defensive front a little bit. But you gotta you gotta break some plays and get some yardage before you can wear them down. You can't just get everybody get beat up for a couple yards here or there. So it's gonna yeah, be tough we, to do that. I think Burmeister well, say to, Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say we've we've seen that to varying extents in the first two games. Like they were yeah. definitely a lot more explosive against the Bengals than they were against the Wildcats in in uh in their first game. Clearly. So so I think that's another thing where, like, you know, the offensive line, I think in particular, has something to prove. Like, they've got to open running lanes for this stable of running backs more consistently than they have. Because it's been very boomer bust, and that's something that, you know, against a good defense like Utah's, they could bottle that up pretty easily, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I just, I think, Bur- I think well, Bur- if Burmeister can do, if they can get him with his legs and move the pocket, that's an area where they could have some possibilities. I just, when he put Arizona, he got hurt, bigged up, and it's hard to trust him at that point. But I think overall, these, while these teams are similar, Utah has the overall better talent edge, clearly. Just because, mm-hmm. obviously, Pac-12, they've been in a title game a couple of years, Rose Bowl appearance last year, had chances to beat Florida, which is just an athletic team, maybe not a good team. But I think Utah has too much overall there. They have guys who can actually run the ball better. They have guys who can catch the ball. It's just not a wide receiver, which I'd prefer. But I still think 21 is way too much in this game. That's my concern. I don't know if I think they're hedging their bets and people being dumb because they scored 70 plus last week versus an FCS team. What do the advanced numbers say for this one? What are they saying like the margin of victory could be? So long story short, they all favor Utah. Uh, SP plus likes the Utes, give them a 90% win probability, projected margin of 22 points. Uh, FEI also likes Utah by 16.5. Uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Utes a 96.1% win probability, uh, projected margin of about 44 to 19. What's your what's your projection? I think Utah's going to win pretty comfortably. You did by three touchdowns, though? I don't know. I'm going to say 35 to 17. So I think the Aztecs will cover, but I don't think it'll be particularly close. I'm going to go a little bit less. I think it's going to be 31-10. Wait, crap. No, I can't do that. 31-13. All right. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. No, because I, I just think 21 is too much. I just think Utah will score just enough. And Whittingham's uh, outside of the Wyoming flipping the bird on the – or getting the bird flipped on him for uh, an onside kick years ago. He's not he's, – he doesn't like to run up very often. Just obviously, as I say that, they won by 70 points last week, essentially, versus Southern yeah. Utah. So. Um, Fresno State at USC. Fox, big Fox, 7.30 Pacific at the Coliseum, 12-point favorite for USC, over under 74. I got this at 70 early in the week. I'm like, give me the over because that's what this is going to be. This is literally, am I wrong to say, is this really the first to 40 game, Matt, of the weekend? Yeah, I think it's likely. Or at least first to 35. Mm -hmm. So I remember our group DMs early in the week when the line came out. Um, You seem to like USC quite a bit in this matchup. Yeah. I mean, have you seen them play offense in the first couple of weeks? They do have some players, Kev Limbs, Jordan Addison, uh, 
uh, die the running back is fine. He's not my favorite guy, but whatever. I feel like you're you're underselling the Trojans a little bit. Dude, they beat Rice and Stanford, two terrible teams. Come on, give me a break. Okay, I'll, I'll agree saying, that. I'm just saying. But you okay? Here's the thing, though. Like you, yeah, you can say on paper Fresno State has a lot of offensive weapons, uh, but so does USC, and all of their weapons are four and five star guys. They are just better talents across the board. Caleb Williams, yeah, I... quarterback, Travis Dye at running back. Jordan Addison has been lights out in the first couple of games. 12 catches, 226 yards. That's an 18.8 yards per catch average. And he has four touchdowns. Con- it might be controversial saying I like Jordan Mims better than Travis Dye. Yes, I think Travis so. Travis Dye only has 125 yards this year. That's it. Well, he hasn't had he hasn't had much work to do. He only has 19 carries. That's a six and a half yard per carry average. That's fine. I don't care. Give me the production. Give me the <laughs> and oh, by the way, he's also he is also averaging 10 yards a catch over the backfield. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway. Only four catches. Come on. I know what I'm talking about. I just don't like him yeah. when he did stuff in Oregon last year. That's all. <laughs> I mean, like your Fresno State needs to play an A plus game on defense. And offensive line. And con- and considering what I just saw against Oregon State. You know, Oregon State's a good team, but they don't have the same caliber of athlete that USC is going to come into this game with. They Nobody don't, does. You know, the Beavers, the Beavers don't have a Jordan Addison, let alone a Mario Williams or or someone or Brendan Rice or someone like that. Yeah. Like USC's got like six different guys that they can pitch the ball to. And oh, by the way, Lincoln Riley is still one of the best play callers anywhere in the country. No, he is. But here's the thing: too, so, like their defense isn't great, their line isn't great. This is going to be a legit shootout. That's where I think Fresno has a chance. I don't know, man. I'm just not totally sold. I'm not saying Fresno is going to win. I'm just saying that USC defense leaves leaves a few things to be desired. I mean, I think it's really, I mean, same as always, and maybe it just sounds like a broken record. It's really going to come down to how well they protect Jake Hayner. But, I mean, you mentioned the defensive line, and I think that there are two very important caveats to keep in mind there. One, I mean, the run defense hasn't been great, but it hasn't been terrible either. You know, against Rice and Stanford, the the Trojans have given up, you know, 4.65 yards per carry, five touchdowns altogether. I think what is more important for this game, and and I think more directly to what you're speaking to, the the Trojans also have nine sacks in, in two games as well. You have four against yeah. Rice, five against Stanford. So that defensive line has actually been pretty good because they've been very productive across the board. You have Nick Figueroa has a sack. Tui Pelotu has a sack. You know, Tyrone Teleni has a sack. Solomon Bird, former Wyoming Cowboy, has two sacks. I think seven of the nine sacks, I believe, are from defensive linemen, guys who have their hand on the ground. Yeah, so... Yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot of talent up front, and like even if it hasn't all come together yet, I can see a situation where like if Fresno State goes three and out on a fir- on their first couple of plays, yeah, you know, maybe USC marches down the field and they build like a ten or a seventeen nothing lead. Then and then what is Fresno going to do? Because you know the Trojans are just going to key on on Hayner, and and you know, be happy to pin their ears back and then let him try and bring them all the way back. I just don't see much of a path for Fresno State in this game. 
they're just you're at a plus game they're gonna have to score points like Fresno State like defensively Caleb Williams is completing 80 percent of his passes it's pretty good I would say this like you you put you put Fresno's schedule up against USC who they play swap them or whatever not swap but Fresno would probably have a similar result against Rice and Stanford as USC did just mm-hmm. about I think so there's that because that's not really a fair comparison about who's better or who's not or who's going to win or who's not. Um, Williams has been sacked four times in two games. But I do think you're right. Offensive line has to be great. And uh, obviously offense can't settle for field goals. They need to punch them for touchdowns because red zone issues were a pretty big deal last week. What was it? Was it 3.6 yards per red zone attempt last week? Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon State can't have that. They're going to have to make a few stops. And amount of amount of throws they're going to do, most likely passing because they're – passing actually they're running more than passing the moment i should correct that but when they pass they gotta get a pick knock it down try to do something and but yeah the defense has to hold them a little bit here and there if they're gonna keep it close like i don't like i can see a scenario where it's like it's legit 24 24 to halftime 27 24 for either team but then fresno just kind of runs out of gas in the second half and might lose 41 31 or something mm-hmm. like i could i could see that being the way it plays out where it's close for a while but then just the team with more talent, more depth, just kind of slowly chips away and pulls away for a reasonably comfortable win, like over 10 points. But also wouldn't be like, what's your surprise? Though? Like if, if somebody were to say, hey, Fresno's going to, if Fresno wins, how shocked would you be if they went, say, 41 38? 10. You think that's that, that shocking that they win in any fashion? I think USC is a very good offense. The, obviously. I mean, here, here's here's what it's going to come so down to. So does Fresno, man. Come on, give your team You, you got to stop Caleb Williams. I know. And, and especially, especially on early downs when he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country. On mm-hmm. first downs in particular, Williams has completed 20 of his 23 throws. 303 yards on first downs. Four touchdowns, zero interceptions. They have not been shy about putting the ball in his hands early and often and saying, okay, go out there take advantage of all these weapons we've given you and, and get the ball down the field. They haven't had much of a problem doing that through two weeks. And while Fresno state probably has better defense than both rice and, excuse me, and Stanford. Yeah. Again, talent disparity is going to go a long way. There's a lot, there's a big difference between trying to cover someone like, you know, you know, good athletes like Luke Musgrave and Trishawn Harrison Mm-hmm. versus guys like Jordan Addison and, and everybody else in the offense. I just, I don't see how they're going to be able to keep up for 60 minutes. Something is going to give way at some point. Oh, I kind of lean that way too. I just, yeah, that's why I'm thinking it could be close for two and a half quarters. And then they punt once or twice, or it's a 14 to three swing where they or 14 to six where Fresno gets a couple field goals where UC keeps game, USC keeps game touchdowns. So what are the mm-hmm. advanced numbers saying this one? I assume UFC so. clearly. Uh, so SB plus likes USC, maybe not by much as you might expect. They give the Trojans a 66% win probability, uh, projected margin of 7.3. Um, FBI also likes USC again, not by much as you might think. They only favor the Trojans by 4.5 points. Mm-hmm. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Trojans a 79.3%, excuse me, 79.36 percent win probability projected margin of about 42 to 31 so only 11 point victory yeah okay what's your what's your score 
Well, I put money on this game. I put money on USC to cover. You put actual hard U.S. currency on this game? Yes, I did. What? What for? What in what way? Money line? Uh, I took over under. No, I took USC in the spread. So I'm going to say USC 42, Fresno State 27. Is that because you want to win money, or do you really think that's what's going to happen? No, I think it's about what's going to happen. I put money in the over when it was 70. So I think that's a I think that's pretty good money, right? You think that's a good chance? It's currently well, considering my considering my prediction right now. <laughs> what did you say? 42 uh, 21? 42 to 27. Uh, that's, that's uh 69 60, points. No, not quite there yet. Uh I gotta go for USC as well. I my shock level will be like maybe a six and a half if if Fresno wins. Mm-hmm. I just like Jalen Cropper and I like Jordan Mims. I like Jay Kaner. Um I'm going to go USC 40, Fresno 32. So I'm not picking up a stupid upset pick. Um, all right, Duquesne, Hawaii, last game of the weekend. Do we have to watch this game, Matt, because it's Duquesne? Is it? Or I guess we have to because it's Hawaii's only win, right? Most likely, maybe, possibly. To be found on the uh, Spectrum pay-per-view on the islands, Team One Sports, everywhere else on the mainland. We do have a... LSU, what's their Twitter account? LSU Net Football? Is that LSU Football. LSU Football.net, yeah. They have a workaround to, uh, as I whisper, to watch on your big screen TV or browser. But make sure, here's the thing we found out with us and some of our staff. You have to have location services on to watch on your tablet or phone. I think <laughs> you can watch on a tablet. Because basically, if you're not in Hawaii, if you're in Hawaii, you got to do the pay-per-view, unfortunately. Yeah. But this game, Duquesne's one and two FCS foe. Hawaii... Needs a lot of work here because Duquesne is not a very good team, clearly, but Hawaii is 12 on power pole for a reason. They've lost to Florida State, Youngstown State, and Thomas Moore, which does not have a logo on ESPN, which I'm assuming is a Division II school. They went 34 to 14. Hey, let's not disrespect the Saints now. Thomas Moore College Saints. What, what do you got? Tell me why I should not dis- give them some disrespect. I don't know. I just felt like saying that. No, I know. It's fine. Uh, here, this is more of a game where it's like the Idaho State San Diego State game. What could Hawaii do to figure things out? I give sainted son Timmy Chang his first ever victory as a Hawaii head, Hawaii head coach. Are they going to split quarterback? Are they going to go with uh, Schrager? Are they going to not go with Schrager and go um, with Yellen? They're like, what are they going to do on offense? Is Parsons going to get the ball a lot? Is there going to be a defensive play like score? Are they. I want to see what you're going to do with Joey Allen or like Braden Schrager. I don't want to say Brandon, Braden Schrager there. Like Nazi, Bryant, Lele. It's like they have a couple guys doing things. I want them to have big games for everybody. Jordan Pinoke, Jalen Walthall, all these guys. Like, will, will Vitral Edwards have a big game with his 14 tackles on the year? Like, are they going to have Leonard Lee do big things in secondary? It's like, I want to see them have a complete game and win big and get, give a big smile to Timmy Chang. Will yeah, I mean, I mostly now? just, I mostly just want to see this passing offense get on track. Yeah, that'd be nice. Which yeah. you know, through three games, it's, it's really hard to project like how well that's going to happen against the Dukes, just because you know through three games they've given up. Duquesne has only 172 yards of, uh, through the air per game, which is yeah. you know just outside the top 30 among FCS teams. But again, you're talking about a range of opponents that's ranged from, you know, like I said, like you mentioned, I think Thomas Moore is Division II, uh, all the way up to Florida State. 
So I don't know exactly that there's a lot of clarity in that regard. But I do think like what it mostly comes down to is just play a game without the killer mistakes. That's really one of those things that has buried Hawaii, especially on offense. You know, they they still don't have a single passing touchdown this year. And they have five interceptions between Shager and Yellen. Um, so while the two of them are still tied together with an oar on the depth chart, you know, I think if if they're going to try and settle this quarterback situation, you know, one of those guys is going to have to step up in this game in particular. Because, you know, we've seen some of the, you know, uh, some of the targets that they've been throwing to that flashed a little bit. You know, Jalen Whitehall is averaging over 14 yards a catch through the first three games. Jonah Panoke's, you know, been pretty, you know, uh, a pretty solid contributor, 11 catches, 150 yards in the early going. You know, James Phillips leads the team in receptions. Jordan Murray's had a couple of nice catches. They just have not been as explosive as I anticipated that they would be. So I think if there's any headway to be made in that regard, it's got to start in this in this game against this particular defense. You know, just put some explosive plays together, put some drive together, at least get some points out of some of those drives, even if you're not necessarily reaching like peak red zone efficiency. That's what I'm looking for in this game. Yeah, that's what I, I just want them to have a game where it's them playing well. Is that too much to ask for? Efficient, move the ball, passing game, everything. I want them to win like pitch a shutout if possible. But I do want to see them, like you mentioned, settle the quarterback situation. I think that's a big step. Besides getting the win confidence, that's great because there's not many ones coming on the schedule. But what does the depth chart say? Does it still say or between Yellen and Shager? Yeah, it does. So I want to find, have them settle on the quarterback after this game. Because Shager has – they both have thrown – here's the thing. Like, Shager, Shager has four, four interceptions, unfortunately. But then you have Yellen, who's been sacked five times. They've both thrown similar amount of passes, 68-67. Shager – 58% to 40%. Neither of them have a touchdown pass either. So neither are playing well. Like Sachs and INTs, like, well, whose fault is this? Either of those. But that, that my main concern or main focus is to get a win and then figure out your quarterback going forward. I think that should be their two. Yeah, I mean, they've they've already tried to make some, you know, changes sort of to find, and, and this is true on both sides of the ball, like they're already starting to shuffle their two deep to try and find athletes that you know, are going to stick at the top uh, at the top of the lineup. So, like perfect example, Leonard Lee started the first couple of games against Vanderbilt and Washington, Kentucky at safety, um, but then against Michigan, Noah Kaman and the senior replaced him, you know, opposite Mataki Thompson, and he's still atop the depth chart. So he's probably going to get the start in this game against Duquesne as well. Same thing at Nickelback. You know, Malik Houseman started the first two. Uh, and then they turned to um, uh, what's his name? I, his name escapes me right now. I apologize for that. Um, but you know, but he's still atop the lineup at Nickelback. But you know, you're starting to see it on offense too. You know, Tomatoa Mokiao, uh, Malala is in the starting lineup on at wide receiver. Sergio Muisau, who yes is Darius Muisau's brother, uh, he's taken over. He's atop the depth chart at left guard now. So. You know, those new guys who are getting these more extended auditions, I think if you're a white fan, you want to see them play well too. And and try and remove some of those lingering questions that they're still dealing with nearly uh, nearly a month into the season. Yeah. Can they figure something out for at least one game? 
I guess we'll see. So what's your, any projection, advanced numbers at all on this? Yeah, so SP Plus does favor Hawaii. Uh, they give them a 63% win probability, projected margin of about 5.6 points. Okay. What that's it. What do you say? What's your what's your score? I'm gonna take Hawaii to win this game. Okay. I think that the defense should be able to string together a, a solid performance. I don't think that there's anybody on the Duquesne offense that should really scare them, other than maybe the running back Billy Lucas. But it's not necessarily an offense that's built for explosiveness. So if if Hawaii can get on track, they should be able to keep the Dukes at arm's length. I'm going to take them to win. I'm going to say thirty to thirty to twenty. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Hawaii's going to win. I'll go thirty-five seventeen, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to get the first win. A good job for Hawaii Warriors. Woohoo! Better Gotta start somewhere they, with the Dubs. If they lose, uh, yikes, I'm not going to be happy. All right, that wraps it up. Another lengthy show because that's what we do when we have nine games and we talk about Craig Thompson retiring. So MWR.com, check our picks, check our predictions. I got bowl projections coming out, all sorts of fun things on the site this week. So just go read up on that. Q&As will come out Friday as usual for a majority of these games who people have been gracious enough to say, yes, I'll answer your questions. So check us out MWR, MWC Wire on Twitter. Um, we're doing obviously gift reaction every Sunday at some points. And, uh, Matt, I think the five word recap was pretty good as well. Some people enjoyed that. So mm-hmm. if, if you want to tweet at us, I'll put it, we'll put a little reminder, but it's kind of give us your reaction to when your games end about however you want to do. So we'll put some specific prompts out there, but I thought that was fun, but yeah, check it out everywhere and hope your team wins this weekend. And Matt, hope you win some money, I guess, and betting against your own team, but that's how it is. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's all good. I think you're okay losing your minimal bet, which oh my computer's going with. I assume you're not betting the house on that this type of game, right? No. It's just enough where if you if your team wins, you're fine. If you win some money, it's even it's okay too, right? Essentially. Yeah, if they're gonna break my heart, I'm at least gonna try and profit off of it. Exactly. That's how it goes. So we'll see if they can uh is it is it too soon to say push Travis Die out of bounds for the win? Is that okay or is that too soon? <laughs> come on man <laughs> i apologize for that so well i know that extremely uh mean note of my part i apologize there but again mwr.com and we'll be back in a couple of days